Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 41 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I want to share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders, and my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to honoring God and living out this idea of servant leadership, because what I know to be true is that when you do that, blessings will naturally follow as a byproduct of that servant leadership. Because at the end of the day, all of us are ministers in one way or another, and we are given special gifts by God. And because of that, it is our obligation, our responsibility, that when we see a need, we have to fill that need to the very best of our ability. Because serving is for everyone in all walks of life. And over the last 40 episodes, we have seen that lived out by countless people throughout the military, business, faith, community leaders, and even people that just serve in their family. And last week, if you didn't have, excuse me, not last week, uh, on our last show on December 19th, we had a really great opportunity to do a look back on the previous episodes, and we did a conversation about the top 10 lessons of servant leadership. So if you didn't hear the previous episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But for today, here's just a little bit about me that's relevant. I've had a great opportunity to partner with Reese Across America for the last several months. And because of Reese Across America, this program airs at 8 a.m. on their program on iHeartRadio the following Sunday of each week, as well as 10 p.m. on the day of the original broadcast. And I'm so honored and thankful to be a part of the Reese Across America family and to have this program aired on their station. And as through my relationship with Reese Across America, I'm honored to have two guests today that are servant leaders both in the community and through their faith. And that is Mr. Joe Regan and Lieutenant Colonel Retired Chaplain Karen Diefendorf. So Joe is the Director of Military and Veterans Outreach for a national nonprofit, Reese Across America. He's had 20 years of experience developing sustainable strategies supporting national security and veterans' health, and he served eight years on active duty as an Army officer, including two tours to Afghanistan. Chaplain Karen Diefendorf served 24 years as an active duty Army chaplain. She directed the largest corporate chaplain program in the world. And she continues her active ministry by hosting a weekly radio program, actually right after this show on Rescarves America, called Encounters with God. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mr. Joe Regan and Chaplain Karen Diefendorf. Stay with us. Tell me, is he good? He's good. Tell me, is he God? He's God. He is good God Almighty. W223CO Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. 
Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and today I'm joined by Mr. Joe Regan and Chaplain Karen Diefendorf. Joe and Karen, you on the line? We're we here. Are. Well, first of all, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy Sunday to be on the show here today. It's an honor to have you both together. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's an honor to be with you. Yes, I, I'm thrilled. Uh, it's a great uh, opportunity. So listen, one of the reasons I'm really excited to have you both on is because some of the commonalities that all three of us share. And so in this first segment of the show, I'd like to unpack that a little bit and talk about a little bit uh, regarding our military experiences and all of our work with Reese Cross America, because those are some common touch points that we have. So if you don't mind, Karen, I'd like to start with you. If you wouldn't mind sharing with our listening audience, you know, what your story was like with the army, like how and when and why you decided to join our beloved army. Well, first off, um, my denomination, which happens to be the Independent Christian Church, Churches of Christ, does not generally ordain women. Uh, some of our churches do, and and every church is autonomous. So um, my home church chose to ordain me, but then nobody knew what to do with me afterwards. Um <laughs> They knew that I had had a strong interest in military chaplaincy, and so I um, pursued through our church's endorsing body uh, coming into the military, and I started out in the Army Reserve, and within a year of that, my endorser encouraged me and my husband and our two little kids to come on active duty, and uh, that's what I did. I felt like that would be a place where I could use all of my gifts and, and talents and uh, get the opportunity to preach and, and pastor and, and do what I felt God had gifted me to do, even though the local church wasn't always sure about that. And Karen, how long did you serve in active duty? So I retired at 20 years in one day, and then three and a half years later was recalled back to active duty uh, and spent another four years. And how did you feel so about that 24, recall? Pardon? How did you feel about that recall? Was that a good or a bad thing? Uh, it was a bit of a shock. Uh, when I got the phone call, I thought it was a hoax. I thought it was a <laughs> prank. Um, and they convinced me that uh, they were who they were. And um, so, uh, it, yeah, it turned out to be a really good God thing. Yeah. And I was glad to come back on active duty. But um I was serving as the academic dean at my alma mater at the time. And so I was, I was not planning on uprooting myself again. Yeah. Well, God has a funny way of working things out, doesn't he? He does. And it was exactly what needed to happen. So, amen. So Joe, over to you, what's your story of joining our beloved army? You know, it was, uh, it's kind of a funny story. I probably growing up had absolutely zero intention of, of joining the military. It wasn't the path that I saw for myself and actually wasn't the path that anyone really saw for me. And, um, you know, I was kind of a screwball in high school and, uh, it was a friend's dad that had recommended that I go to a, a, a small private military college called Norwich up in Vermont. Um, and I started there just prior to, to 9-11. So again, going into the military school, I thought that the structure associated with it would help me 
perform academically. Um, and I really, you know, fell in love with everything that I was doing up there. And after nine 11, I felt like that was my place that I had to go mm-hmm. was, um, into the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I chose, I, you know, as one of those people that I could have chosen any branch or any job within the military. And I decided to go, um, army infantry. And so after, um, after graduation, went down to Fort Benning, uh, did all the the cool guy schools as I call them, and then um, went to 10th Mountain Division up in Fort Drum, New York. Served the 2nd Battalion, 87th Infantry Regiment, um, and deployed to Afghanistan. Probably within a year and a half of uh, graduating college, and led uh, some amazing men and women uh, through some really tough missions in Afghanistan. And I'll say, you know, I, I know that um, you know one of the things that was always great for me was interacting with our chaplains. I mean, I think if you think of two professions within the army that people have the most respect for, it probably comes down to the medics and the, and the chaplains mm-hmm. and um, because it's providing that wellness for all of our, our troops. And I know for me, for me in particular, you know, having had a bunch of very, very difficult missions, um, you know, having a, a chaplain available to help all of us kind of understand the position that we were in and how we could process that was tremendously important for all of us. So, Joe, I'm really captivated by your interest in feeling almost compelled to be on active duty and make a contribution to the fight as part of 9-11, especially with the cool guy schools, as you call them. You know, <laughs> maybe for people that don't know what those are, um, that's things like airborne school, ranger school, not things for the faint of heart. And so I'm curious, like, what was going through your mind and your heart during that? It feels like there's a definite level of bravery and courage that needed to take place for you to step up to the plate, go to those cool guy schools and go on deployments to Afghanistan. There's a lot of risk there. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. People always ask me that question. I don't really think I have an answer for it. And it's funny when people, you know, one of the things, and I'm, I'm not really sure where this comes from, but, you know. Uh, I used to, when I was in college, I loved, I did mountain rescue and did a lot of high angle rescue type stuff. And people say, I could never do that. I'm scared of heights. And yeah. So am I. <laughs> and they're like, what? Um, and it's funny, even now in my role, I do a lot of public speaking and people say, well, I could never do that. I'm terrified of public speaking. I'm like, so, so am I. <laughs> um, and I think that all of us have a choice, right? And that's one of the things and it, it really cemented in my psyche during that deployment to Afghanistan and, and seeing the sacrifices that our men and women make that at times we're called to put ourselves in positions of discomfort, because even if it's something that we're afraid of doing, we have the skills and ability to, to do that um, and overcome those fears. And I, I don't really know, you know, where that comes from. Um, you know, a lot of it is an internal drive of, of that willingness to, to volunteer and say, nope, I, this, someone needs to do this and it might as well be me. Amen. So, Karen, you are no slouch either. When I was reading through your bio, my eyes nearly popped out of my head when I read that you are one of the first female paratroopers. Well, I was the first female chaplain. First female chaplain. So, yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of other female paratroopers before me. But that's and still in a fact, huge distinction. Well, it, it is, and I'll put an asterisk by that, much like uh, whenever uh, Babe Ruth's home run record was broken. Um there were more games that were were played in that season. So did did they really break the record or not in the same amount of time? So there were at least two other female chaplains who were, uh, I think, assigned at the 82nd Airborne when I went through airborne school. But they became paratroopers in a prior service life. So mm-hmm. one had been a 
I think a signal officer prior uh, and the other had been a chaplain assistant. So I want to give credit to them. Okay. But technically, technically speaking, in in the history books, I'm the I was the first female chaplain to actually go through. And I was assigned immediately to cover the airborne school. And, and they all knew I was going to be their chaplain. So that, that uh, created some other uh, angst for those black hats because there was no other woman. <laughs> assigned to the unit yeah and uh, they made sure i knew it (laughs) so going to airborne school as a female chaplain was that something you wanted to do or were you voluntold i was somewhat voluntold it was either do that or go across uh fort benning to the 197th mech infantry and uh for some reason jumping out of airplanes seemed like a whole lot more fun but still As a light infantryman, I got to agree with you. I mean, nobody <laughs> wants to be riding back one of those things. No kidding. <laughs> but I mean, I would think that you had to know all of the opposition that you'd be coming up against, especially working with all the black hats, like you said. Like the again, just like Joe, I would think that there's a lot of potential fear, consternation. Like, what's going to happen if I do this? What's going to be the outcome? I might die if I jump out of this plane. No female chaplain's done this before. Like, what? How did you get over all those thoughts? Well, I had great encouragement. My brigade chaplain was certainly there for me. Um, um, My uh, senior NCO in the chapel Mm -hmm. there at the school brigade was super encouraging. And in fact, both of us went through the school together. Um, Her name's Reba Gertz, and she was absolutely outstanding. I got hurt during uh, the first week. I I had given birth to both of my girls by C-section and had no idea that doing a gazillion flutter kicks was going to tear away adhesions in my abdomen. (laughs) So I uh, managed to pass out at the end of the run. I finished the run and then passed out. Wow. So they hauled hauled me off to the hospital and I recuperated uh, till uh, probably four four or five months later and then finished the course. But um, yeah, they, uh, it, it, it was a, a time of understanding that I was breaking ground. Uh, and I will tell you just a side story. I remember my first staff meeting and um, the air was was blue. Uh, there was language floating around in that staff meeting that I couldn't even imagine. And but I was pretty sure that it was because I was there. They were yeah. just trying to make me uncomfortable enough. Yeah. I wouldn't come back. Well, you know, my place is at the staff meeting. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. So um, second week was just as bad. But the third week, it was like they all kind of forgot to swear. Wow. And um, we got around to Charlie Company's uh, report to the commander, and he said something pretty benign like, damn. You know, I mean, it was it was so it was so vanilla compared to everything else that yeah. had been said. And I just tapped him on the shoulder and said, oh, man, I was just about to compliment you all on the best staff meeting uh, we've had for a while. And the, and the commander looks up and he goes, yeah, guys, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. This has been really ugly in here lately. <laughs> and that's when I knew he had not a clue. So afterwards, I went in and I said, you realize this was an attempt to make me uncomfortable and get me out. And he and he fell all over himself to reassure me you're wanted i want you here i have a wife and two daughters and i want you here and um, as time went on it proved to be a really good assignment because we had uh, some sexual harassment things that happened and um, so having a female chaplain turned out to be the absolute best thing they could have in the unit at the time wow so uh, 
That is God, awesome. God has a way. He really does. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And it seems like your faith was really an integral component of helping you be successful there. So it was Karen, I, I wonder with all the things that you've gone through and all the service that you've done as a chaplain, particularly a female chaplain with all the obstacles that you've had, in, including your denomination, what did our beloved army teach you about servant leadership? And like, what did you take away about? This is what a good leader looks like, especially as a chaplain. And then your unique role as a female chaplain. What, what did you walk away with? Like, this is how I need to live and lead to really honor God. Well, first off, I felt like uh, the FM 22100, which was the Army's leadership manual, um, was um, so consistent with what I knew from Scripture about mm-hmm. being a servant leader. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was no conflict there for me. So for me, being a servant leader means you put other people ahead of yourself. Amen. It's not about my career and careers, careerism and making choices that way. My job as a leader my rank on my collar as a leader provides me with the subsequent authority to provide for, to resource, and to train my subordinates. And that's the way I've looked at it my whole career, all the way through being the director of chaplain services for Tyson Foods. Everybody, my job, I don't need a job, don't have a job if I'm not providing for their training, their resourcing, and taking care of them. If they if they have what they need to do their jobs, then I'm good to go. Amen. And Joe, how about you? All your experiences with Ranger School and Airborne, there, there had to be some kind of nugget that you walked away with about servant leadership. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think that started very early in my my path to becoming an officer. Um, you know, at Norwich, we had the privilege of working with some really amazing NCOs through our ROTC program. Um, and very early on, I mean, they made it very clear that, uh, you know, taking on a leadership role is, is not about privilege. Um, it's about service. And it's about taking care of, of troops. And I, I'll never forget the advice that I received. Um, it's probably early my junior year, maybe. And one of the NCOs came up and said, you know, it's, you, it's, if you're questioning whether or not to do this, it's not the time you're, you're not meant to do it. Mm. And when you, once, if you do choose to do it and you, when you find yourself in that position and you say, I don't know if I enjoy this anymore, he goes, it's time to walk away because when it stops becoming about the soldiers, when it stops becoming about your troops, it's, um, it's no longer, you're no longer effective. And, you know, it's funny. And I think airborne is a wonderful example of, of leadership in so many different levels. And because I, when I think back, I remember my first night jump and uh, as an officer, you're typically the first one that's out of the, out of the the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I remember my first night jump at Fort Benning, Georgia, pitch black. And I'm standing there in the doorway and uh, the door is open. I'm standing there with my hands on my, my reserve chute, waiting for the jump master to give me the, the go. And I'm just staring out in this darkness and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we could be 10 feet off the ground. We could be 10,000 feet off the ground. I have no idea mm-hmm. what I'm about to get into. And all I know is that there's, you know, 20 guys and gals standing behind me that as soon as I go out this door, they are going to blindly follow me out this door. Um, and that's kind of an impressive thing when you think about it, because I think that, uh, you know, oftentimes in life and in leadership, we find ourselves in those positions where we're standing in that doorway facing darkness and uncertainty mm. and that we have to have the, the courage to be that first one out the door to say, you know what, I don't know what we're about to come into either, but I am, I am confident that we're going to achieve this together. And I have faith in all of you to help me do that. And I think that that is something that, that is a lesson that's always 
stuck with me. And that expanded into to ranger school as well, where you are charged with, you know, in ranger school, we strip away rank. Mm-hmm. So no one knows who is what rank. You have an idea based on how people present themselves and in their age, uh, but nobody really knows what rank is. So you're, you're leading your peers and you're leading your peers when they're exhausted and tired and cold and uncomfortable. Uh, and it really exposes those individuals where, and I tell people this all the time, you know, in a school like ranger school, yelling and screaming achieves nothing. Yeah. You really have to be that one that is, that shows compassion, that shows the understanding that we're all tired. And yet we all have to work through this together in order to accomplish our mission. And I think that that is you know, such an important part of, uh, of leadership and serving others as part of that, uh, because that's where you can be most effective. Amen. I, I love how both of you have incorporated your faith into just really carrying you through what God has for you and really caring for others. I, I love that. So <clears throat> it is about time for us to take a break. But when we come back, I'm going to continue the conversation with Chaplain Karen Diefendorf and Mr. Joe Reagan. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I won't forget all, all that you've done for my life. W223CO Atlantic City. Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving our nation begins right now. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm continuing the conversation today with Mr. Joe Reagan and Chaplain Karen Diefendorf. So, Joe and Karen, thanks again for being on the program today. Really appreciate your insights and what you have shared so far about your journey and how your faith has really been able to carry both of you through what God has had in store for your lives. So I want to talk a little bit about um, our work together on Reese Across America. Each of us have a different relationship and interaction with Reese Across America, but I'm curious if you would share just a little bit about how you got connected to Reese Across America and then how you're able to serve others in that capacity. So Joe, start with you this time. Sure. Um, You know, after leaving the military, um, I did a stint as a defense contractor and, and did some work, continued to support uh, the Department of Defense and the men and women in uniform. Uh, and then I went back to graduate school. I did um, management consulting, so worked with some fairly large companies on on business strategy. And it was really quite fascinating work, but um, I just didn't find the reward in it. It wasn't something that, that it wasn't that job that wanted, I wanted to get up in the morning. And I started to get engaged with a lot of nonprofits, you know, serving on boards, doing all the advisory type things. Mm-hmm. And I worked for an organization, I was a, on the board of an organization called Veterans Count. Uh, and this was an organization in, uh, in uh, Northern New England that really supported really some veterans that were in really, really difficult spots. These are men and women who are dealing with severe mental illness, uh, poverty, homelessness. And even as a volunteer, I found it tremendously rewarding. And at some point, uh, the director of the program uh, decided to step down to take a different job. And in conversations with the board and some of the leadership at the, at the team, someone came up and said, well, would you be interested in, in doing that? And I said, you know, you know what? Yes. 
this is where I want to be. And uh, I'm in a position where I can, can, can kind of afford to, to make this change. Uh, and so I did. And I, I really love that job. Um, you know, had to do a lot of fundraising, had to do a lot of work to make sure that that mission was getting out there. And um, I learned about Reeds Across America through that program as one of our fundraising partners. Mm. And so Reeds Across America isn't just about laying wreaths, um, but actually over the, since 2007 in, in, our, uh, in our founding. And that number, I think, has grown this year. But the last figure we had, uh, the organization's given over $15 million Wow. Uh, to like-minded organizations across the country to support our living veterans. Wow. Uh, and I was one of those organizations that benefited from that. Um, and I had an opportunity to meet Karen Worcester, our executive director, and, and Maura Worcester, our founder, and the, the whole, really the whole team, um, and really fell in love with the organization. And I remember, I think it was either the first or second time I met Karen, and she pulled me aside and says, you know, one of these days I'm going to steal you and you're going to come work for me. And uh, was I think it was about six, maybe seven months ago. Um, again, I found myself in that position where I was ready to do something a little bit different. And lo and behold, Karen gives me a call and says, you know, hey, I want you to come work for me and I want you to help us expand our outreach uh, to military and veteran organizations so that we can have a greater impact on our living veterans. Wow. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's where I am today. And I'm really, um, you, know, you have those jobs where you just sit there and say, you know, I could do this all the time. And it is tremendously rewarding to be able to give back to so many organizations and to hear the stories, you know, not just the, the stories of folks that have overcome such odds, um, but the stories of, of folks that have left the military and just really thrive in their communities. And probably the most rewarding thing is seeing our Gold Star families. So those, um, those families that have lost a, a mother or a father, or a, a son or a daughter, a husband or a wife, and to see the way that they take their grief and they turn it into something beautiful. I mean, so many of these folks continue to serve their communities, um, continue to give back as, as part of the, the, their efforts to preserve the legacy of their loved ones. And um, so that's, that is, that's kind of been my involvement. That's kind of how I got involved with it. And, um, you know, it's just amazing. Each and every day is a blessing to be able to work with so many amazing people. Amen. Karen, what's your story? How did you get involved with Reese Cross America? Well, I had donated money to get wreaths here at uh, Fort Jackson National Cemetery, uh, but my real involvement became um, very personal when I was the director of chaplain services for Tyson Foods. And in 2018, we had a uh, hurricane that came through and did a lot of damage along uh, the North Carolina coast and uh our Tyson emergency disaster response team was there and several cook teams. And one of those cook teams was led by a guy named Kenny Elby. And Kenny was in charge of the cook team at uh, the uh, Truckers Lounge for Reese Across America. And he kept saying, you really need to come up and check us out and see what this is about. And he was so passionate about it. And then he hooked me up with our first uh, truck driver, a uh, guy named Jimmy Shaw. And, um, Jimmy was even, he was equally as passionate. And next thing you know, I have been volunteered to do the memorial service for uh, that year. And poor Karen, she didn't know me at all. I, I talk about uh, accepting things on uh, someone else's reputation. And Jimmy and Kenny, neither one had heard me preach. So I don't know how on earth they ever thought you know, they could recommend me, but they did. And uh, again, God has a way. And so ever since then, I've been good friends with both Karen and Morrill. And um, I got hooked 
on Rees Across America. Kenny threw me in his truck and we went to Long Island to deliver Rees that year. And it was it was just a phenomenal experience. I came back the next year, did the memorial service and drove uh, in the convoy. And that was another huge experience. Of course, the following year, COVID eliminated much of that. And then this year I was able to go back and drive again and do the memorial service and, and just be a part. And uh, like Joe, Karen seems to tap people that she thinks she can uh, get good work out of. And uh, Joe's a youngster and got plenty of energy. I don't know why she wants a gray-haired old goat like me. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, I am now serving on the board. So maybe it's the wisdom part that comes through with that gray hair. You know, uh, uh, maybe that's what it is. That is awesome. <clears throat> and I wonder, so what blessings did either one of you get through your work with Reese Cross America. I mean, servant leadership is a tremendous thing, especially when you do it right. But what I know to be true beyond the shadow of a doubt is that when you truly serve others, God honors that. And blessings just come as a byproduct of that service. So I'm curious, you know, what has God done for you, Karen, through your walk and through hosting the show on Reese Cross America and being a chaplain and being on the board and all of that? Well, I service is a part of, I think how God wired me. Mm -hmm. So uh, this just gives me an opportunity in my retirement to still have something that gets me out of bed every morning. It allows me to be engaged in my local community as I work with the folks that take care of Fort Jackson National Cemetery here. Um, But it gives me the opportunity to tell the story about Reese Across America, to tell um, that we're more than just a December event, uh, that uh, something's going on every day around the country. And uh, it again, I think it's that sense of, for me as a veteran, to know that someday when I'm uh, in repose, that uh, someone will lay a wreath at my headstone, and hopefully they'll care enough to Google my name and see that I'm not just a body in the ground, that they'll find out that, gosh, this was a real living human being uh, and what they did. So uh, I think it's a, a great way to honor our veterans, and I couldn't be happier uh, to do that for my friends uh, and people I don't even know uh, because they served. They chose to serve. Amen. And Joe, how about you? What, what are the blessings that you've gotten from God and is part of your journey with Reese Cross America? Yeah, so many. And, uh, you know, I was, I was raised uh, Catholic and, uh, growing up, my mother was Protestant and then converted to Catholicism, um, for a couple of different reasons. But one thing I always remembered was we had a, um, like a picture that was always in our house somewhere. And it, uh, it was a quote by, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it said, to know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. And, um, okay. you know, just a few weeks ago, I received a call from one of my former soldiers. And he, um, he calls me and he said, sir, I, um, I needed to talk to someone that wasn't messed up. And he used some more colorful language as any infantryman would. He goes, um, you know, so many of us that were on that deployment, so many of us that has served, are struggling with those demons. And he goes, every, it seems like every time somebody calls, they're struggling with these demons time and time again. And he goes, when people see you out there sharing these stories, when people see you out there talking about those challenges and normalizing it, it makes it easier for each and every one of us to deal with it. 
He goes, so I just, I, I, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I had to call you because I had to talk to someone else that, that was able to, to figure this out because I can't take another call where someone is, is that messed up. Um, it's moments like that where you know that you, you see that immediate impact um, on someone's life where it seems like something so simple. And when, um, when Karen and I were on the, the convoy uh, this past December, um, the former president of uh, American Gold Star Wives, uh, Nancy Mina, got up and she said, uh, she said something very simple. She said, um, your small actions are their legacy in referring to, to those that have, have passed on. Mm. And I think that's something each and every one of us you need to take away from, right? We, we oftentimes think of these, these big actions, these big high profile things to change the world. And we lose sight of the fact that sometimes it's those small things. It's sharing that story. It's making that connection with a fellow veteran that um, really means the world to them. And that, that is those small blessings. And as they build up, um, you know, really, you know, has such an impact on, on not only my life, but on, on the lives of others as well. Amen. Well, you know, listening to the stories of both of you, you know, what the two of you do cannot possibly be easy. It has got to take a toll on you to some degree being a chaplain and Joe, all the work that you do with Reese Cross American. I wonder what the hardest thing that you've had to do is in your walk, in your journey, you know, through the business world, through military, through your work with Reese Cross American, what was the, maybe the hardest thing you had to do and how was God there with you in that? Like, you know, beyond the shadow of doubt that God really showed up in that moment to help equip you for that particular circumstance. So Karen, we'll start with you. So I, I'm a pretty tender hearted person and, um, can I can I do the tough things? Yes. But what most people don't know out of the tough exterior they sometimes greet is uh, there's a bottle of Maalox in my drawer. And so a couple of shots of Maalox before I have to chew somebody's Ocoli. Um, you know, I, I want to do that kindly, but firmly. And um, I, I probably the toughest thing I ever had to do was when I made the decision I was going to fire a particular faculty member. Mm. And um we walked through a process where we put them on pretty strict probation for a while. Uh, if they had breathed wrong, they were going to go. That's how, that's how narrow the parameters were. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, the person found another place before I had to pull the trigger at the end of that year, but I was fully prepared um, to um, terminate the person. And, and that was a very difficult, very, very difficult decision because I'm aware that that choice impacts their family's yeah. income. It, you know, it, it, there are second and third order effects to every decision we make. Yeah. And um, my job is to make sure everybody has every possible opportunity to redeem themselves. Um, but um, I, once I came to the decision, this is the direction we needed to go. Uh, I, I, and I knew that, um, you know, the person you fire, they can say whatever they want about you. But all of us in HR know I don't have I don't have the luxury of being able to defend myself, no matter what they say about you. So, you know, your reputation is going to take a hit, you know, and you just have to count that in the end, God will redeem that in the long run. And people will know that you just weren't the bad guy. Amen. Joe, what do you think? 
You know, I think um, one of the most, I think, difficult things for me was coming to embrace uh, Gold Star or some of our Gold Star families. And, and I say that not because of anything that they've done, but it was more guilt on my end and overcoming the guilt associated with having to approach a family that had lost someone, especially those families that uh, for troops that I knew and really having to overcome that, that survivor's guilt uh, that I think all of us feel to some extent um, and be able to develop those relationships. And I think that when we talk about, you know, a higher powers involvement in that and seeing it, um, I think it's evident in the relationships that I've built after the fact and how rewarding it has been to take on that um, guilt head on and to start engaging with these families. We're now realizing that by doing that, it's healing for both of us. Um, You know, that I think, and I think oftentimes when we talk about those most difficult things to deal with, uh, a lot of times those are internal factors of our own. It's, I think I've found it easy, I, at least for me, it's been easier for me to deal with other people. Um, but sometimes, in, you know, engaging our own fears uh, can be the most difficult thing to do. And, and that's where we really rely on uh, on our faith, uh, on our spirituality to, to help us have uh, not only faith in a higher power and God, but in faith in ourselves. To, to to take on that fear firsthand. Wow. Joe and Karen, I want to thank you so very much for everything that you have shared today and for being on the program and just your heart for servant leadership. It has been an absolute honor to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been great being here. Thank you, Paul. It, it is a wonderful opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you again. And have a blessed day. And thanks again for all you do for Reese Cross American, just in servant leadership. We'll be right back. We've all run things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain. He's a pain If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And today, we're going to just think about what we heard from today's guest in our show, Mr. Joe Regan and Chaplain Karen Diefendorf. Now, listen, there was so much that they talked about but just a couple of really important nuggets. So you heard Karen and Joe both talk about their military service, but what I thought was really important was how both of them highlighted that it's not about them, right? That they were just going where God called them to go, and it was not about anything of putting themselves first or their career or anything like that. I love how Joe put it. They're making a choice to be uncomfortable because that is what God had called them to do. And then Karen talked about this idea of the single greatest privilege we have as leaders and you know her role as a military leader and military chaplain, but I think it applies across um, all leadership principles. The greatest responsibility and privilege that we have is to provide, resource, and train the people that God has entrusted to us 
to be part of our team. So when I think about that, and I think about Joe's notion of choosing to be uncomfortable, how much more can each of us do? There might be an opportunity that's in front of you. There might be something that God is giving you an opportunity to serve others, but you might say to yourself, oh, I don't know, that's too hard, or, oh, I, I don't think I can do that. You heard Joe talk about, you know, oh, I'm not really good at public speaking either, but he chooses to do it. He chooses to be uncomfortable, to stand in the door, to be the first one out the door and take that step of faith. So I wonder if you would think about doing that today, this week, this year, as we enter 2022. Would you really take some time and think about standing in the doorway, taking that leap of faith, and really putting some time and effort into providing resourcing and training for the people that God has entrusted to you? And even if you're not in a leadership position, maybe you just think about what can I do to provide for and care for and train the people that are in my family or my friends. So many things that we can do in that regard. Now, another thing that I thought was really interesting, when we talk about faith and serving in your community, I love the journey that both Joe and Karen discussed in how their work with Reese Cross American. So neither one of them really anticipated going to Reese Cross American, but it was the journey of faith that God had taken them on. Both of them got there in very different ways, but they trusted the step that God had for them, and they trusted in God's timing. And now, with their work there, they're able to really impact lives. I love how Joe talked about, if I'm even able to impact one life, he used a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and really just honed in on this idea, if I can impact just one life, my life has made a difference. I have made a contribution to the fight. I have done something meaningful with my life. And then when Karen was talking about the same idea, she was really emphasizing, you know, it's, it's not about her, it's not about being a chaplain, it's not about being the first female chaplain paratrooper, it's not about any of those things. It's about the lives that she can impact through being on the board, through being a chaplain, through preaching at Reese Cross American, relaying ceremonies, all these different things. What gifts has God given you? What are you able to do with the path that God has laid in front of you? You might not know where it's going to go. And Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. But it doesn't mean that it's this big, bright light that's going to illuminate the next 10, 15, 20 steps in front of you. It could very well just be one step. What is that next right thing that God is calling you to do? And are you willing to take that leap of faith? Are you willing to take that next step? Are you willing to really make an impact for one person? You might not know who that one person is, maybe for a week, a month, a year, but it will come back to you. You will find out that, hey, you know what? Through that work I did in this particular organization, in that leap of faith that I took, I was able to impact a life. 
I was able to make a real positive change in somebody's life. You know, and the last thing that I think is really important to hit on, when I was talking to Joe and Karen about the hardest thing they had to do, you know, servant leadership is not easy. And particularly in business, it's not easy. And you heard Karen talk about when she was serving as a dean, she had to potentially fire somebody. Now, that is not an easy thing to do. And she talked about why that's so hard because of the secondary and tertiary effects, right? But looking at it from a servant's heart, right? She gave him an opportunity to redeem himself, right? There's always room for grace and mercy. Yes, there has to be consequences. Yes, there has to be boundaries. But she was able to exercise grace and mercy, give the person an opportunity, and then the person was able to move on without having to be fired and lose their job and have all the associated drama that goes with it. And in the same type of vein, Joe talked about his work with the Gold Star families and this idea of healing others. What can you do to heal another person? What can you do? Maybe somebody needs a shoulder to cry on. Maybe they just need somebody to listen to their story. Maybe they've never had anybody to really listen to the problems that they have. I would encourage you to be that voice, to be that person, that listening ear. All right, so listen, every week I talk to you about this idea of when you put good into the universe, it comes back to you. Well, I get to tell you, God is so faithful and it happens all the time. And most recently, I saw God at work over the Christmas holiday. And so one thing that you might not know about me that we haven't talked about uh, during the course of this show, about 10 years ago, I had an opportunity, my family had an opportunity to sponsor a international student. And the short version of this story is that the church I was going to as a school as part of its ministry as an extension of the church and the school wanted to bring in international students to be able to increase enrollment but in order to do that they needed some families within the church that were willing to host students for a full year and so i spoke to my wife and my kids about it and we said okay i think we'd be willing to do it if we can find a student um, that has some kind of a faith background because we want somebody that's going to live their life consistently with our family's values, right? And faith is a big part of my family's values. And so we found a young man, and his name was Sun Pill, but and the American name that he goes by is Phil. And so he stayed with us for an entire year, and the whole time that he was with us, he called my wife and I his American mom and dad. And it is now 10 years later, and I am so thankful and proud and happy to report that I have had, and we, my family, has had an opportunity to see and engage and host Phil, our Korean son, almost every year over the last 10 years. The only time it didn't happen was during 2020 with COVID, and then one other time when he had to do mandatory Korean service. But this year he was able to come back to us and he stayed with us a couple days during Christmas. And to have him come back to our family and spend time with us and share stories of what he's been doing and what he's doing with his life. And 10 years later, and he still calls me his American dad. He still calls me dad. And that is just so 
heartwarming to me to see all the effort and the the work and the time and the financial resources, all of it, that I helped to pour into him 10 years ago. It has brought about so much fruit now today in the young man that he is. So again, I say to you, God is faithful. You might not know exactly what impact you're going to have in a person. It might not be apparent for a week, a month, a year, maybe 10 years. But God is faithful and there will be impact in the work that you do to honor God. All right, listen, next week, two incredible guests to share with you, Dr. Shante Hall and her father, Dr. Stephen Hall. So Shante is the CEO of Centurion Military Alliance. She's also the founder of the American Heritage Group, and she's also the president of Victory Trades Alliance. Dr. Stephen Hall works with Shante. He's a partner at Centurion Military Alliance, and he also is a senior project advisor for the Department of State. And most recently, he was the executive director for the mayor's office at the city of Houston. Really excited to have both of them on the program next week. As you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week. Your promise. Never fail, you never